0: Mike top is supported by Macrae Financial Services, financial planning for every stage of life. Visit mcraefs.co.uk. More details on Macrae a little later. Now, let's roll on with our chat. Uh, Kirsty, hi, good morning. Good morning, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to chat with me on, on Mike Top We're in your lovely kitchen having. Having a coffee and catching up, I don't know how long it's been, but, you know, when I was doing a little bit of research um, before I came to see you, uh, I can't believe I actually offered to make scones and bring scones when you, once, did you win celebrity bake-off? And I thought, I was going to bring scones. How embarrassing that would No, that'd be been. lovely.
1: No, I, honestly, if anyone bakes, I'm very happy. I'm very happy, honestly.
0: But it's a skill
1: I didn't know you had. There you go. Um, I've always baked, since I was little, actually. And I i mean, I love baking, and I think baking as a gift is a great thing. I like, you know, If anyone gives me a cake or marmalade or jam, I'm very, very happy. And I think it's about a comfort thing. I think what happens for me is that when the children were little, especially, if I've been away in London, the first thing, if I was coming in a Saturday, when I come in, I make pancakes you know it, it it was just something to sort of anchor me back at home
0: and i think if somebody brings you that as a present it shows that it's the time and effort they've put into to to give know, to that's you and right.
1: homemade i mean you know don't get me wrong some fabulous candle it's fine <laughs> uh, you know some fabulous <laughs> I've bottle got of my wine candles. but you know somebody that does some baking i love that my friend lorna is a great baker too and uh, my friend rob and um they're always you know we're always switching baking
0: and what was that experience like on on bacon. Was like? It was great,
1: because it wasn't the real deal in the sense that, you know, I'm sure that they were giving us a little, uh, a little leeway, but I loved it and I made scones, I made two kinds of scones, I made cheese scones, and I made, um, I don't know, I made cheese scones, made fruit scones, made my butter, made my jam there and there, because I make a lot of jam, jam you know, is so easy, and then I made the Old Man of Hoy, but I forgot my internal Scaffolding, so I had some beg, borrow, and steal to make the old man of fly, and it stood up. So I assume that's why I won because it actually stood up. Improvisation, always.
0: <laughs> you know, look at, looking at some of the things you, you you've done over the years away from away from TV, and that was another writing books and the, the best dressed woman. You're a woman of style now, or and then I think you were, were you given a prize for the best dressed over fifty uh, uh, something, or
1: something. I don't know. I mean. You I, I I I am I do love clothes. I have to admit. Um, I'm sort of careful with them though. I I wear things that I wore. I wear things that my I wear my aunt's trousseau. I wear my mother's clothes. I buy things and keep them for years and years. Um, and I have to have Good quality Yeah, it's that Rogan my friend Gil Burnie says buy cheap, buy twice. But actually, I also slightly disagree with that because I buy some very inexpensive things that have lasted a very very long time as well.
0: Because you like them. Like,
1: because I like them, I look after them. You know, so there's that. And the writing, it wasn't until the children were older and I had some time and I knew always that I wanted to write. Um, and then I got down to it and I just absolutely loved the experience. It was very, very hard work, but it was hugely rewarding. And I could, its slightly weird. I mean, I would literally take me ages. I'd do all sorts of displacement activity, everything to stop me starting. It's like studying almost, but, isn't oh it? God. But then when I started, I was completely in it. it and I was it out. very, very difficult to come back out again. It was almost like in a weird way we're taking it was taken at a completely different place in the world and in your head.
0: It's almost a form of
1: therapy, I suppose. I honestly felt it was it was it was wonderful for me, you know. Um, I'm late with this third book. But I am writing, so I mean it's just been an extraordinary year with all sorts of different things happening work wise and Caitlin's wedding, which was delayed from a year past September to this September. Caitlin's your, your daughter. Caitlin's my daughter, James, and my son. And Caitlin's 16 months older and um, she was due to get married at King Kel and in St Andrews, which is fantastic. And when it was delayed because of COVID, whereas some people were delaying three months and then having to delay again and change and cost, She just took the decision with Callum and she was absolutely right decision to say, shunt it for a whole year. Yeah. So it also came that everything just shunted. So everything was done. So she could, I think she honestly enjoyed it more than she would have had it been on the real date, because she got used to the idea of what she was going to be doing and tweaked a lot of things and just was determined to enjoy every moment, and she did.
0: And the whole family did, obviously. And the whole family, family did, and it
1: was a wild wedding.
0: Can you believe your child's grown up and oh, married? I can't, and I, can't, I can't,
1: I can't believe it at all. Where, where have the years gone? I know, I know where have the years gone, and they go a bit faster the older you get, which is the, that's so the good point.
0: Did I read also, Curse that you, you actually wanted to be an actress?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I didn't, I applied to uh, RSAMD role at uh, Scottish Academy of Music and Drama uh, and applied to university again to both. And I was pretty keen to go, but my parents less so, and I sort of allowed myself to be steered. And I always wonder, you know, what would have happened if I'd you know, taken the other route, the the road less taken, you know, what would have happened? Um, but, you know, I wanted to be a journalist as well, and so really, but
0: After. you're still kind of a performer as well. In a
1: so. way, yes, exactly. And also, I think that's about dad, who, as well as being a lawyer, was a court lawyer, and he was a fiscal before. Yep. He was a fiscal before um, he then went into um, I- into a firm. Well, he was in a firm, then he was a fiscal, then he went a firm. And, and in a sense, that was a performance as well.
0: Yeah, that's a different type of uh, performance, isn't it, for, for lawyers? You, yeah. I think they directly go into that because they have that in them as, yes. a, as a performance. Yes, and, and to be honest,
1: um, after the war went out at Bank University, um, and he eventually he did want to become an advocate, but he didn't have the money to be an advocate, and um, went into practice and then in the say became fiscal.
0: Must have been very proud
1: of you. Um, I don't know, I think it was that Scots way where, yes, yeah. but, but it was quiet. Yeah, yeah. Do I, I tell you, my mum my absolutely yeah. hated it. If somebody said to her, oh, you're, you're Rebecca, your name's Wark, Roberta Wark. Oh, you must be Kirsty Wark's mother. She did not like <laughs> that one bit.
0: <laughs> it's important not to look back, really, and have, re, have regrets, but you know, way back when I started, I got an offer from Sky, um, as well as an offer from the BBC, and I chose the BBC and I decided not to go to... To London. Um, I, don't, I, I just had a baby and it, it, the timing wasn't right. And people say to go, Oh, if you've gone to London, look what might have happened. Mm. Were you faced with a similar scenario I mean, early on?
1: I mean, I was offered some jobs in London, which meant I would have had to move rather than commute. And I never wanted to. And so some of them were, um, I would have had to stay there four days a week to do the job over two. Uh, one in the BBC and one not in the BBC. And I turned them both down because the children were tiny then. And the great thing about Newsnight was that I could rock and roll with Jeremy at the time. You know, I could do Monday and Friday or he could do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I could do Thursday, Friday, I could choose. And I was never really away from them very long. And i tell you something, <laughs> when they were little, I said, I'm never going to be away for more than three days. And I was doing a film for One Foot in the Past that required me to go to Shimla in, in India. And I literally got on a plane to Delhi, then went to Shimla, filmed for two days, back on the plane and back. And I was within four days. Within those two, in four days, I was back. Because that was more important.
0: Gosh, well done you. I remember going to the Sydney Olympics and I was away for six weeks. And how did you cope? It was terrible. The, the, the work was fantastic, but... I missed them terribly. It was really hard and I thought I'm never going away for that no, length of no. time again. Um, well, I mean,
1: it's the same thing in a way as, you know, I think some of our, our utterly best at war reporters are women. But I um, chose not to be hefat trained, which is, you know, if you're going to a war zone train, because I felt I would just regret terribly if anything happened. Um, you know, an injury or anything that then impacted the family, and I felt that you know, it was more important that I kept myself reasonably safe than, in a sense, I had some glory in the battlefield.
0: Yeah, well done you for for. for yeah, some I mean, it was just
1: are. a decision. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's I, not. That I don't. I think women that do go are phenomenal, yep. but it just wasn't for me, and I had to accept that it wasn't for me, and therefore I wouldn't do those jobs.
0: Do you feel it impacted on your career no, in any way? No, at
1: all.
0: See, I felt it would impact on my career at the time,
1: and I wouldn't be well. You know, she's got a family, and she we, we can't send her next time. Well, but you had a different. I mean, all the, the kind of you were travelling internationally because a lot of sport is international, yeah, and that yeah. was the, th- the issue that you faced.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's true, uh, and it, it it was hard, and I do I do feel I had to do it to to get on, and mm-hmm. and something had to give, and yeah. unfortunately, it was the family yeah. that I had to give at the time. But yeah, I mean,
1: fortunately, we don't seem to have suffered well, too right. much as a result. That's in. right. You know, I say to the kids, for goodness' sake, we're not going to about this again. <laughs> really?
0: When you look back at all those years, though, is there anything for you, uh, work-wise, that really stands out that you think, "Gosh, I'm so glad I was part of that. I'm so glad I, I was involved in that, or I reported on that." Oh, or I,
1: think, I, I think I think the setting up of Scottish Parliament would yeah. certainly be yeah. something. Um, and, you know, right up to this moment, um, you know, whether you're a monarchist or not, being part of history and being part of the Queen's passing was really important. And I think as well that um, her connection with Scotland was so strong um, and her plans had been so well worked out that I'm sure that, in a sense, her death in Scotland, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't planned. But, uh, I think, in a way, the family, were, were, I'm sure, were very happy that she died in Scotland because it allowed them to have time where she was happiest. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's the impression we, we all yeah. get, in Scotland, I have it to say, it looked time.
1: fantastic because it was the most extraordinary weather. And the whole, the way that it happened at Balmoral, the police were phenomenal. People were so quiet and dignified and respectful because, you know, they were actually physically close to her because she was actually inside Balmoral. And then the details that came out that were so Scottish that, you know, the ghillies stood round her coffin guard and then um, the gamekeepers carried her coffin out. And I think things like that really mattered to people in Scotland. And I with know, the
0: international media every bit as res- respected? Yeah, Do you know what no, the media can be like something?
1: Oh, no, no, they were completely. And actually there wasn't a huge, huge, there weren't phalanxes of media there. Um, it was quite restrained. Um, and I think it was possibly, obviously, that it's been planned more for Windsor and for... Westminster, but um, in Scotland, I think they, I think actually what happened was the international media realised that it was a, it just was a different atmosphere and they respected it to Balmoral.
0: Where, where were you, were you based at Balmoral then? I went did straight
1: you? to Balmoral then I was in Edinburgh.
0: Right, So I was in right.
1: St Giles. I was so also. you can kind of almost followed down I did, as it, indeed. As, indeed yeah. as it went. And the thing was, you know, um, she, the, 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 her body left Scotland on the C-17 flight at five o'clock on the Tuesday night. And at 10 o'clock the next morning I was heading for St Andrews for Caitlin's wedding <laughs> <laughs> because it, the wedding was on Saturday and we, were, Kate and I were going up to get it all ready and da da da.
0: This is the world we're in. This
1: is the world we're in.
0: And just, and actually it was almost, it was quite good you had something like that to well, follow so. on from. Oh
1: absolutely, it was such an intense time. It was just such an intense time.
0: Um, and the Scottish Parliament, you know, what, what was your role there?
1: Well, I mean, I think because we were doing, I was, I, um, in, we did the referendum and then I was involved uh, in the um, decision about who the architect was at the Scottish Parliament and now being down at the Scottish Parliament, it's such a great setting and partly because I absolutely adore Holyrood Palace, it's my favourite Renaissance building in Scotland and so it's just a great place to be. I just, you know, I, and I lived in the Canongate the first flat I bought was in the Carnegie. So that's your patch. So that's my patch. And yeah. then that was what was also so amazing on the day that the the uh, the Queen's body came to St Giles was it came up, it lay overnight in Hollywood, yeah. and they walked up, yeah. you know, up the Carnegie, up the Royal Mile, I and mean, the sense of history was phenomenal. Yeah,
0: you, you felt it watching the, the, the oh, sense completely. of drama as well. Completely. It was almost like a, oh, it was almost like a movie.
1: Yeah, it was extraordinary. It was so it br- so well choreographed, wasn't it? Oh God, really? within the,
0: within a millisecond, yes, exactly. How long do you think they'd been planning? Oh, I
1: think years, actually. And I, that would be that would be what the Queen would have wanted. It to be done properly, and I'm sure it was planned. But for they years.
0: must have had a plan A and a plan B. Oh yeah, location. It was
1: uh, what was it called in Scotland? It was called Operation Unicorn. That's right. Yeah. It w- it was
0: phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. The, the everything about it, and round the world.
1: Yes. And can yeah, you imagine the impact people drama. came? I mean, obviously Edinburgh's always got a lot of tourists. The people came from all over the world. I spoke to people that had come from Italy and come from other places just to be in Edinburgh.
0: Maybe. Just to be part, just yeah, to just be to be part, part of
1: history.
0: It. Yeah, and we'll, yeah, we'll, we, won't, we won't probably see that kind of thing ever, ever
1: again. You know, I doubt it. I doubt it. Because you know, who's going to be reigning for that length of time?
0: Yeah. So where are you in 2022, do you think, as Kirsty as Warwick? I mean, where are you in terms of um, I Happiness in terms of contentment, in terms of you well, know, I mean, age, the, the kids. Well, that. I
1: mean, um, I'm very happy that Caitlin is spending a lot of time in Glasgow. Though, like me, she has this life at the moment where she works in London um, and commutes. Uh, James is in New York, so I kind of go between New York and Scotland, and it's lovely. that he wants to have that. He is in theatre, and uh, he has this peripatetic life and crosses the Atlantic, and actually ended up here. It, you they can know, do
0: that at my age. You anyway. can do
1: that, that at that age. But he came here uh, for his birthday just before lockdown, not realising he was going to be here for a year. <laughs> for a long time. This is why we have the big booths <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not moving anytime soon. So here, it's uh, 2022. Is hopefully finishing the book. That's really important. Um, and I think what's happening at Newsnight is that we we continue to change and modernise and grow so. Uh, I'm still enjoying that. And one of my favourite, favourite jobs is doing the reunion on Radio 4, yep. which yep. I, I just love when people come together and share their stories. And in many ways we are capturing history, it's like an oral history. People that haven't seen each other, been in each other's company, people that haven't spoken to each other, people that might have fallen out. Big stories and wee stories, international stories and domestic stories. Fun stories, you know, like getting the cat, you know, the, all the people that were behind the day to day together, but also getting the people behind Tiananmen who were involved in Tiananmen Square. Yeah. together. Yeah. And so, what a, it, it's a series like no other, and um, that's what I love doing. So, these are the things that I'm loving, but also, it's for me, it's incredibly important to nurture your friendships. Yeah. And, and the older you get, the more you think that I think, and so making times for friends is, is very very important for me.
0: That kind of program that you're doing, I mean, that that goes back to the essence of being a nosy
1: yeah, journalist, doesn't a it? Nosy and that's person. what that's what we love. Yes, and, and and also trying to bring out the best in people.
0: Yeah,
1: I think that's. I mean, I, I always remember, um, and I won't name the interviewer because, um, yeah, I won't. But <laughs> I was a young producer, and this person uh, used to do interviews, and before the interview, which if it was a recording. Um, this person would start talking to the, the interviewee and get all the information out that I very carefully corralled but only helping with the actual structure of the interview and we then put all the information into the question rather than letting the interviewee blossom. And I always remember that, that's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. A terrible thing to do, you never do that.
0: It happens a lot. Uh, even and
1: when... this idea that you have to show off what you know whereas yeah. what your job is not to grandstand to get the best out of your interview,
0: I dare say your approach is similar, similar to mine. But give 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 our audience the rough idea. If you've got an important interview for Newsnight coming up, what's the what are the dynamics of how you set up for that?
1: Well, I set up for that not myself. It's not an I, it's a we because um, we brainstorm, and the team is really heavily involved. The team is like sometimes very very well or ill and sometimes a bit uh, rickety, and um, sometimes we've got more staff and more stuff, and sometimes we have got less staff just depending on the day. But what I love, and I think one of, the, and I'm sure uh, you'll be like this as well. Some of the, the happiest moments are when we sit together and brainstorm, yeah. you know, and we we game play an interview, a big political interview, an important interview, and that is a great skill. I know producers that have that skill, and and it's wonderful to watch them work. And how to uh,
0: how to react to if the interview isn't going the the way you think well, it's completely. going to Well, go, completely. I mean, you have you to know.
1: wing it then. But um, th- there was a time when there were. Um, Years ago, when I remember that there was somebody who used to have a like kind of one to ten in front of them, and no matter what the interview, he said just went through one to ten, and it was painful, yeah. absolutely painful. You have to be able to turn in the six months, depending on the way the interview goes.
0: What's your most memorable interview? Do you think?
1: Oh, I mean, I think I've been so lucky that I've had so many. You know, interviewing people like Philip Roth, actually, upstate New York, Tony Morrison. Um, Sometimes with Brown and Blair, certainly with uh, Mrs. Thatcher, um, but I think the interviews that are very memorable are ones that have been very moving for me. Which was, which were two. Uh, one was the mother of one of the Columbine killers. It was the only interview she'd done, and you know, it. You cannot imagine yeah. um, what her life has been like, uh, and she cannot imagine what the life of the families whose son. She took their, their child, uh, was, but also the other one was these two extraordinary women who um, were kept in a house in Cleveland, Ohio, by a man called Castro in a basement.
0: Oh yes, I ten never years, And they wrote a
1: story called Hope. Yeah. Um, and they got out eventually after all those years of being locked in by just catching a moment where he just put his guard down. And then, of course, it was discovered that there was a child in there and everything. And the resilience of these women, the resilience of these women was utterly extraordinary. And so, for me, that was one of the most humbling interviews I've ever done.
0: Gosh, yeah, it's obviously stuck with you. Oh, completely. Um, completely. Um, what
1: about, what about nightmare interviews? Oh, I mean, nightmare interviews are if you know, if people are very monosyllabic and they don't respond or they're arrogant. and I. I don't actually think I've had many kind of patronising interviews, particularly Geoffrey Archer, but as I always say that was a badge of honour for me, because, you know, who cares what Geoffrey Archer does? <laughs> um, but no, I don't think I've had nightmare interviews. Um, interviews, technically, where things go down, happen mm-hmm. all the time. But you've just got to plough on. Yeah, that's okay, and you Even know what? Time, keep going. And the thing is, you, always, you must always strive do your best and never rest on any laurels. And, but I always say, if I make a mistake, on air. Nobody dies. If a brain surgeon makes a mistake, the pressure's on them so hard, you know. It, it's, it's and is that how you handle, you handle think, any criticism? I, I, not how I handle criticism. i was alert to criticism. That's how I handle pressure.
0: Pressure, right.
1: Completely okay. how I handle pressure. And I also handle pressure by probably being overly prepared. Because actually I think that that is incredibly arrogant to go into an interview unprepared.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, you're there on behalf of the audience. You're really asking the kind of questions that the viewers would like to hear answered.
0: Yeah. Do you think that that um, has come with experience and age, having having that view about um, well, nobody's died here. You know, I'm not a brain surgeon. I, I, I kind of like have on?
1: thought that because I think that I don't That came from being a producer. I don't know, but I have actually probably always thought like that a bit. Um, but I'm also. Um, I think I probably interview less now because interview interrupt less now, because you know I try and hold back because it's never a good look to interview interrupt too much. I think I probably still interrupt, but I should. But you've also got to be alert to politicians' tactics. I always remember Tony Benn was the master of that. He would say, "Yes, well then now there's three points to this answer," and you go, "Yes, I know." And by the time we get to the third, it'll be half an hour hence. But he did that in order to try and make it impossible for you to interrupt. And he also recorded all his interviews for posterity in a big library they held. Yeah, but, uh, but you get
0: to know them, don't you? You, you do, get you get to get know, to know their, those tactics. Their style and their their, their tactics. <laughs> tactics for politicians are probably some of the most challenging, aren't they? Yeah, so. and,
1: but you know they're media trained. I always thought uh, that was something that I really disagreed with, and that was working journalists doing media training. You know, well, you're not a journalist anymore, or you're not a working journalist. So you're always a journalist, you're not a working journalist. That's when you can do media training. I don't mean for people that are, you know, you know, maybe uh, working for a charity or something like that. N- not that I do that anyway. I do have a strict line on this, but I think you should never media train politicians when you're a journalist. Hmm. That happens a lot. it happens a lot, and I disagree with it. Mm. You can't. Um, you can't media train someone that's the head of BP, and then there's some big blowout and people are killed, and the, re- the reason for the blowout has been that the place has not been maintained properly. Because what you've done is you've probably taught them to parry questions. Yes. yeah. And I just think that's completely incompatible.
0: When you should be up front and say, you know, yeah, 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 yeah I, did, I do agree with you. But there's damage limitation for them, isn't it, these yeah. kinds of things. Uh, yeah. so. Um, does this go back also to your, um, your innate curiosity just as a human being about people in general?
1: And, oh, our, and everybody has a
0: story. Go back to I your, your right. radio
1: programme. Yeah, you know, I think that's right. Everybody has a story and, and some wonderful nuggets come out about people. And then, you know, I think um, we did one about, I think it was the Vauxhall car dispute and the managing director is very elderly and the chief uh, steward, shop steward was very elderly, were phenomenal. They went at each other hammer and tongs as if it was yesterday that they were disputing. It was extraordinary. It but I do have an innate curiosity, but it wasn't really until my dad died, uh, and, uh, you, you, and you talk about grief, and it, it, what I realised was, when dad died, I was like, I was in this Kilmarna walking down the street and I thought, why does nobody know my father's just that? Yeah, and, I that and, and And what you do then after that is, I walk down the street or I'm at an event or, you know, I'm at the ballet or whatever and I think, you know, people in here, there's nobody in here or very few people do, grief has not touched and it informs who they are and probably, hopefully, makes them a better person. Um, And I also think that about people's stories, you know, we're just all walking down the street and somebody will have done something extraordinary. They'll have given that extra pint of blood on the day that really mattered or that they'll have, saved somebody, or, you know, they'll have been kind. And, and I think, I'm not a religious person, but I actually, and, and also sounds incredibly pompous, so forgive me, but my kind, of, my kind of way of living or way of trying to live is, though I'm not a Buddhist, is to do a small act of kindness every day. Because it's not entirely altruistic. You're a small act of kindness every day makes you feel better. Absolutely, and helping so people makes
0: you feel better.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. why wouldn't you? So it's not just for the recipient, no. it's, it's also for
0: yourself. Exactly. And, and And why not? And why not? And you should anyway. Um, what about the world we're in right now in terms of uh, women um, in the media? Um, and a lot more than they used to be, and certainly women in terms of guests on on programmes and informed women that, that know what they're they're talking about. Is that is that, do you think that's... The, you know, organisations pushing that too much or is that um, women finally having the confidence and their, their place to do it because they're good at what they do?
1: I mean, I think, uh, I think things have changed for the better, but I still think that the way the work is structured, uh, often it is the women that feel that they have to be the ones who step back to deal with, you know, relatives or children. Um, And I think it is, it is tougher for them. I still do think it's tougher if they've either got relatives or some friend that needs help. Um, But I still, I was writing an introduction for Jane Root the other day, who was the first female controller at the BBC. I thought, why am I even putting this introduction? I mean, it was shocking it came so late. We shouldn't be saying, well, you know, isn't that fantastic, she did that.
0: I didn't even know there was a woman. Controller.
1: Oh yeah, but there were, yeah yeah she was way back in the 90s, and um, there have been female controllers, yeah, Charlotte Moore, all sorts of people, but um, the point being that it came, it has come too late. But I also think that we are about to do another shift, I mean I did a TED talk which was actually, it wasn't a political talk, I actually do believe that, and especially the way things are going just now, because we have, you know, uh, different forms of work we have different um, uh, strains on work, and strains on ourselves, strains on the NHS, that actually the norm should be a four-day week. The fifth day should be for whatever you want. Uh, It should be for either helping, looking after family, it should be for learning a language, it should be for keeping yourself fit because the NHS is under such strain, or it should just be for relaxing, you know, doing whatever you want to do. But actually, we should be training more people to work in different jobs. Look, I mean, I I was absolutely horrified when mm. I was having my fourth booster and flu jag. I was talking to the woman that was doing it and she was a doctor. And you did had, the
0: same as me, that's exactly
1: what I, was, I But, you but did. she was like 30 yeah. and she'd given up. Yeah. I thought, we did all that training. Yeah. You yeah. know, we train all this. She said, "No, there's two or three of my friends who are doing the circuit on the boosters and they're also giving up because the stresses and strains are too hard. And yeah. We have yeah. to mend the health service so these wonderful young people are not giving up. So let's train more people. Make it less, less stressful. You know, train more people. Be a more highly skilled society. But actually give ourselves a bit of a break by saying the norm is going to be a 32-hour week.
0: Why does it, Why can't we do
1: that? Well, they do it in other countries. We They're trialling in other countries. The, the, the norm in Germany is less. We need to think of our own well-being and we can give more. When we, are, when our, when we think of our own well-being, we can give more.
0: And remember, the, the work from home thing was very much frowned upon, you know, two or three years ago. And now it's, it's become semi-normal and yeah. people actually quite like it. And it works and the productivity is still it good. It does
1: work and the productivity it's is good. It's almost like you I have to be forced into yeah, something before like you do it. it. I don't actually think it's very healthy for a lot of young people because I think they mm. don't meet and yeah. make the connections and friends and have that kind of office atmosphere and that kind of, uh, kind of intellectual foment in the same way. So, I think it's, more, it's trickier for young people who actually join, join a company and actually physically don't see any of their colleagues for a long time. A but I think of my son's
0: friends are in that oh, scenario. They've th- never actually met their colleagues. I
1: don't like that. But I think that when you get to a situation where you know what your work is about and you can also pick and choose, then I think that's perhaps healthier.
0: It's a tough old world for It is for the the a tough old world for young now, people.
1: They've just, honestly, what was it? A friend of mine said, you know, we drank the bar dry and left the tab. And that's exactly right, as post-war baby boomers, drank the bio dry and left the tab.
0: Is there anything else, apart from your writing, um, which you're obviously going to get this third book finished very soon?
1: Mm. Uh, well, God, well, <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say very soon, <laughs> but, but yes.
0: Anything else that you think, I'd really like, I'd like to do a, a TV programme about that or a documentary about that? Or oh,
1: I have ideas all the time, uh, yeah. to be honest. Um, but I think... Um, I think the things I would like to do, I love renovation, I love painting. I mean, my mother was, I always say my mother was Martha Stewart before Martha Stewart was born, not the jail part. Uh, but <laughs> when I was growing up, she would recondition things, she would make lampshades, she would make lamps, she would such do all that. such a skill stuff. in so that, I'm
0: so envious of And I people love all that.
1: that. Yeah. And so I do quite a lot of that. Oh, okay. And the idea of renovating and, and doing up houses and stuff is, appeals hugely to me.
0: There's a TV show
1: there. Yeah, well, I think there's been one. Or <laughs> no, ten. With you on it. I oh, I see it. what you mean. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure about that, but that's what I love. I love, you know, the whole make, do and mend.
0: Yeah. And what is is that?
1: It comes from being the daughter of a post-war mother and father. No, well, that's where the
0: baking comes in as well. That's where the baking
1: comes in, but also it's just, you know, I'm the kind of person that literally, and this is just so contradictory, I can have the washing up liquid near the bottom and add water to make it go further. They spend more than 200 quid in a pair of shoes.
0: Right, I'll give you an example of that, my kids kill me for this. They know when I've watered down the HP sauce because we've run out. They absolutely, <laughs> absolutely know, and they still years later, they still criticise me about it. Well, have you watered it down? But home? it's also,
1: like, you know, keeping a piece of string. Why wouldn't you? I mean, why wouldn't you? Because they end up, I use them all. They're in a drawer. I, you know, I do all that. Oh, I Because I, can I just, I, just I, I don't like throwing things like that out physically, have yeah. you No, know, so here's a, <laughs> Another one that I do which people think is mad, I get the most wonderful beautiful Christmas cards right they're up for like 10 minutes. So often I'll cut them and then I, I make my tags for the following year because they look so pretty. Gosh that's a good idea, that's a very good idea. <laughs> because then also you remember I think oh, I know who gave me that card and you know, but then, what if you give the tag to the doesn't person? matter? Oh right, <laughs> doesn't matter. It means you shows sure you've kept it because you love the card. Have
0: you ever rewrapped a, uh, an extra Christmas present that was given to you and given it back, given it to somebody else? Never
1: a Christmas present, but I've I've re I've you re- know other stuff.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm, I've, I've done that. I've
1: never not, not a it Christmas wasn't present. the same
0: person that gave. Me. I think
1: you must have given me something <laughs> five years ago. No, no.
0: But yeah, that, I think that's that's a product of the way you were brought up. Mo- it
1: completely is a product of the way certainly. I was brought up. But as I say, I've, I'm guilty of the greatest extravagance.
0: Yeah. My mum was a, was a fantastic baker and, and cook, and I, f- I found one of her cookery books quite recently, and it was the Hamlin All Colour Cookbook. And I was leafing through it, and I went to the start, and it was written by Mary Berry. And yeah. there's was a picture of Mary Berry. And it was 90, 1972. Have you got that. that book? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I've got my my grandmother's recipes written out yeah. and mum's recipes written out. And it's so funny because my friend Lorna, it must have been a particularly, uh, I don't know where she got it, Boots or something. But it was a particularly nice recipe book that she could write in. And my friend Lorna's mother in Canada, she went to Canada after she was married, had the same recipe book. So I've got all my, and I just think that whole connection, that connection of her writing yeah. and my grandmother's writing yeah. is is very, very important. Things written down.
0: I can see there's wee bits of paper that m- m- mum's written in it, beside ah, uh, various
1: letters, added such and such to this. Yes, and, exactly. And my mum beautiful handwriting well. That's the other thing about, uh, and that's why I still use a fountain pen uh, if I'm writing letters, because you write better with a fountain pen. Yeah, I mean, I can rather buy or I scroll off, but... A fountain pen always makes me write, but I always wish yeah. I had proper, good cursive writing. That the Americans, all my Amer- American friends, write the most beautiful writing. I mean, my grandmother great writing as a, as a mum, but mine isn't so great. So
0: you think it's not just the demise of good handwriting because of keyboards; it's also to do with the quality of the pen.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I say the quality of pen. I, I um, the only thing I ever had stolen from the BBC was my only ever expensive uh, fountain pen. I just buy. Inexpensive fountain pens, because I lose them sometimes. Um, but I think that whole thing about writing a letter as well, rather than an email. I mean, I dash off an email to friends abroad, yep. of course I do. But actually, I love posting a letter, and I love getting a letter.
0: Yes, I like getting a letter. I've still got letters from my grandmother. That oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And she had the most. You could tell as she was getting older; that it was a bit shaky, but it was just, it was just beautiful. It was just beautiful, yeah. and, I've, and I've still got, I've still got a couple of letters, and it's, it's really nice. But yeah. people don't do that. But I mean, also, yeah.
1: it's taking the time. I look forward to having a bit more time to go through photographs and, and you know, very, very old photographs, put them in the right place, letters, doing all that. I like to sort of, sort of I mean, I, my my study upstairs is something else, to be honest. Um, but I'm going to. I'm I'm going to do that.
0: You will, you will. will. Just one other area we haven't dipped into the, that you're also associated with is you've been quite vocal about the menopause and yes. and, and w- where we are with that yes. in the world. I know that's, that's, a, that's a cause that's quite close to your heart.
1: It is close to my heart, but I am now dead against the monetisation of menopause. You know, I think the trouble is as soon as you have something, you have a movement, women are helped, women become more vocal, um, and then suddenly we are being sold stuff. Now, nothing is going to make me buy a menopause shampoo. I mean, honestly, it's like there's an industry suddenly growing No sooner than I did the first documentary, and it's not that long ago, it was like five or six years ago, yeah. the very first yeah. documentary. And now there's a whole industry around, you know, the next level of menopause eyeshadow. And I just think we've got to be careful here. Women are not going to be sold a pup on this. Yeah. And I think, you know, menopause matters is a great website, um, you know, I think, we should, I think we should just go back to make sure we're doing basics and not getting women to dip their hand in the pocket to make them feel better during the menopause.
0: Do you think we've progressed, though, in terms of awareness? and? Oh, and yeah, like
1: the... sure. I still think it's, I think it's tricky for women, you know, um, having a hot flush in the middle of a meeting. But after that documentary, I remember the head of Scottish Enterprise going into a meeting saying, OK, well, I'm just telling you now, I'm not feeling so great today, I may stop the meeting for five minutes. Great, why not? All these, you even in Parliament, it's six long. or seventy percent of these guys have got partners or wives or you know mothers. So you know, it's, it's long overdue. But you know, it's, it's I'm glad it's happening, but it's long overdue.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's still an awful lot of women struggling out
1: there. Oh, completely, um, completely. And when I went, I mean, funnily enough, after I did the programme, I thought, Do you know what? I'm not feeling so great. My night sweats are still bad. And this is after many many years, and I'm not seeing so well. So. I am going to. Go. I went to the surgery. The first doctor I saw said, "Look, you know you're sixty. I just don't think you should be taking stuff." And anyway, I, I then I met someone on the plane who's someone who I'd interviewed uh, about the menopause as a professional. not be ridiculous, of course you can. So I, I have the, the gel now, and it just uh, and it really helps. But there's the well. there's
0: the contrasting views <laughs> again, and you know exactly. this
1: is what women are feeling out I know, there. And exactly. Well, at least it, there's it, more people, and there's at least women are talking to each other. And there's lots of websites and exactly
0: and I think and, and there's, a, there's a synergy there for all women to, exactly. to get together and chat exactly. about and but we, just and we don't are good at that spend a
1: fortune on the, on the cosmetic stuff and
0: we are good at that how long do you see yourself um, continuing working
1: as you are I think you know I'll, I will continue to work in some capacity doing whatever for years I can't see myself completely stopping I mean I enjoy what I do and I'm very lucky to enjoy what I do and you know I kind of rode the wave of older women being in television
0: well that's that yeah yeah, you know.
1: absolutely. You know, and, so, and why
0: do you think that is? Um, because Apart you are very good at what no, you no, do. No, but I
1: just think, you know, I rode the wave of uh, producers being more women, female producers, then I rode the wave of more women being in television, then more women being in network television without English accents, and then I, you know, but I don't take, I take, don't take a single day for granted. That's the truth of it. So
0: take yourself back to, I think it was, was it 1976? It was graduate entry, yeah. Yeah, take yourself back to that young woman. There. Oh God, I remember
1: being uh, two producers on. It was twelve noon, I think the program was called. Be very good taking me out, and I would do I would do interviews, or I would do research. I would produce. Did I was you do allowed it on to a do year everything. How did you do? The I interview? did it on a year, and then the following year I went up to BBC Highland. I was a parish agent to BBC Highland. They needed somebody, and they sent me up there for six months. And so I was actually doing everything, you know, everything bar presenting the morning opt-out show. You know, I was producing, I was editing, I was running around getting, doing reports, everything. And that was the best grounding I could ever have had, and I was only 22. It's phenomenal.
0: You're quite brave.
1: Well, or foolhardy. Optimistic. <laughs> up for anything.
0: <laughs> what would you tell that younger person, 22-year-old?
1: I'd tell that younger person, uh, thank God you went for it, and, you know, and, and tried.
0: Yeah. Did you think then where you've been now? I mean, it was no. was there a plan at 22? No, no,
1: there was no plan. The plan was to be, I've travelled on to be a good producer. I mean, radio was what I was you know, went into and loving. Then I went to the World of One an attachment to London. Then there was the chance to come up back up to Scotland and learn how to be a television director. So I did that. But I never thought I'd be in front of the camera. That wasn't the plan. And here you are. Yeah, yes.
0: <laughs> Kirsty, thank you. Very much indeed for, for talking to us. I know we could talk for yes, and the hours. I'm is a whole, cold. Thank whole, you very much indeed. A whole load of subjects, and, I, and now I won't feel bad about bringing the scones no. next time. <laughs> and i you to ju- I'll ask you to judge Judge yourself. your scones. Mike Tupp is supported by award-winning financial planners McRae Financial Services. They offer top-quality financial advice in a friendly and straightforward manner at every stage of life. With a focus on great customer service, whether you're thinking about funding your retirement or buying your first home, why not get in touch today? Visit mcraifs.co.uk to find out more. Meanwhile, keep an eye and an ear out for the next episode of Mike Up with me, Alison Walker. Thanks for listening.